Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you today from Ann Arbor, Michigan. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy. News that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective, and our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, the Bible translation organization Wycliffe Associates continues to make ambitious claims about its work, but is able to provide few details or evidence of results. And troubles continue at McLean Bible Church in the suburban Washington, D.C. area. We'll have an update. We begin today with a lawsuit against Liberty University. The suit has been brought by victims of sexual assault that the victims say Liberty should have prevented. A new lawsuit against Liberty claims that the Lynchburg, Virginia-based evangelical Christian school has, and these are the words of the lawsuit, intentionally created a campus environment that makes sexual assaults and rapes more likely to occur. The complaint points a finger at the weaponization, again, that's a word from the lawsuit, of Liberty's student honor code known as the Liberty Way, which it claims makes it difficult or impossible for students to report sexual violence. It also argues that such violence, particularly by male student athletes, was excused while the women who reported it faced retaliation. In a written statement, Liberty University said it was looking into the allegations, which it called deeply troubling if they turn out to be true. The lawsuit was brought by 12 women who have so far chosen to remain anonymous, and it was filed uh, just this week on Tuesday, July the 20th, in the U.S. District Court for East, the Eastern District of New York, first reported by ABC 13 News in Lynchburg, Virginia. The women were said to include former Liberty employees and students and one woman who attended a summer camp on the school's campus when she was still a minor still. Uh, Liberty was aware that its policy and procedures as written and implemented were enabling on-campus rapes. At least that's what the lawsuit claims. Some of the women, all identified as Jane Doe in the suit, allegedly were discouraged from reporting that they had been assaulted because they were told they would be disciplined for violating the Liberty Way, according to the lawsuit. Yeah, they were. They could report the violence, but the fact that they were victims but might have participated in a sexual act was grounds for discipline against them, but not the abuser, which is kind of an odd uh, twist of events, at least, again, according to the lawsuits. Those who reported the assaults to Liberty's Title IX office or campus police allegedly were subjected to investigations themselves that presumed that they had consented to the sex. Uh, the lawsuit claims that allegedly some were fined or penalized under the honor code, while others were simply discouraged from coming forward uh, because of those same honor code provisions. The 12 alleged cases include un unwanted touching and harassment by a co-worker and rapes by both strangers and acquaintances. One student contends that she was threatened with expulsion if she didn't marry her boyfriend after becoming pregnant. Warren, let's turn our attention to McLean Bible Church in suburban Washington. Yeah, we reported last week that McLean Bible Church is one of the largest and most influential churches in the country. Because of its proximity to Washington, D.C., many government officials, Capitol Hill staffers, and 
cultural thought leaders are members of the church. Its pastor, David Platt, is kind of a celebrity in the evangelical world. But all is not well in this evangelical paradise. No, it's not. Uh, The immediate issue is the election of elders, but it's really been sort of a referendum on David Platt's leadership. David Platt succeeded a beloved founding pastor, Lon Solomon, and some have accused Platt of taking the church in a liberal direction, uh, though a close examination of Platt's sermons and views provide very little evidence of these accusations. In fact, that's something that we talked about a bit last week. Critics say the church's leadership has become woke and has substituted critical race theory and social justice for biblical teaching. But Platt and other leaders uh, say that what's really happening is an attempt to take over the church and that they indeed are not abusing their power and following the church's constitution. And now the conflict may end up in court. Yeah, and a complaint, again, uh, filed within the last week or so, Thursday, July 15th, to be specific. Five McLean members allege that David Platt and other leaders illegally barred them from voting at a recent congregational meeting to approve new church leaders, the new elders. Uh, The plaintiffs also claim that a follow-up election at the church last weekend violated the church's constitution. Uh, The dispute at the church came to a head on June the 30th at a congregational meeting held to approve these three new donors. And uh, according to the church's constitutions, elders must be approved by a three-fourths majority. But on that June 30th vote, they failed to get that number. And that was a first in the history of McLean Bible Church. Uh, The second vote confirmed the elders with about 80% of the vote. But that's that second vote that is now the subject of the lawsuit. So what happens now? Well, honestly, it's not clear. Uh, It's not clear that the legal system, the secular legal system, is going to adjudicate a conflict within the church, though the plaintiffs say that this is a clear breach of contract and that they're not asking the courts to settle or hear any theological issues. I think the bottom line for now is that we'll just have to keep an eye on things and we'll be bringing information uh, as that information becomes available. In the meantime, Platt and the elders are still firmly in control at McLean Bible Church, and Platt promises that he will continue his ministry there. Now, Warren, let's look at one more story before the break, and it also concerns strife at a megachurch. This one is Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, a church made famous by John Piper. Yeah, in 2012, members of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis were deciding who should succeed John Piper, who had been there for decades. Jason Meyer was a graduate of the church's Bethlehem College and Seminary. He was considered to be a guy that kind of had the DNA of the place, I guess you could say, and he got the job. But he resigned last week, even though his biography, at least as of the time you and I are recording this, Natasha, is still up on the church's website. He gave no public explanation for his departure, but an 1,800-word article by Julie Royce, who we've often had as guests on our Ministry Watch Extra episodes, attributes the exodus to a church culture that one other departing pastor described as domineering, bullying, and responsible for other damaging behavior. Warren, we need to take a break, but when we return, updates from the Bible Translation Organization Wycliffe Associates and an example of when no news becomes news, we'll explain. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and we'll be back after this short break. 
everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, let's continue with the story we mentioned at the top of the show, and this is the story of Wycliffe Associates. First, Warren, can you remind us who Wycliffe Associates is? Yeah, Wycliffe Associates is one of the largest Bible translation organizations in the country, at least if you measure it by income. It takes in more than $40 million a year. In fact, two years ago, it took in about $49 million, nearly 50, but it's fallen back a little bit since then. It also, though, spent about $7 million on fundraising, which is about 15% of its total revenue, and that's about double the money that organizations in its peer group will spend. It also has a record of making claims it can't substantiate. Yeah, that's right. It had to leave the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability while it was under review for noncompliance with two of the financial integrity standards of the ECFA. It doesn't release its Form 990s to the public, which means we can't see who is on the board or how much its senior executives make. That's why it gets a transparency grade of D uh, from Ministry Watch, which is our second lowest grade. So what's the latest? Well, this month, it continues to make claims about its Bible translation activities. It, it, it issues a monthly press release talking about all the great things it's doing. But whenever Ministry Watch has tried to sort of dig into that press release and ask some follow-up questions, we typically are met with silence. Uh, the latest claims came in a July 1st press release announcing a project to reach 35 new language groups by training what they call mother tongue translators via radio. Uh, reaching across the borders to teach uh, Bible translation methods to local believers. Now, Ministry Watch, again, as I said, made repeated requests to Wycliffe Associates for a list of the 35 new languages, but we received no response. Uh, Wycliffe wouldn't identify the languages or the people groups targeted by this project, uh, but it did say that some of the language groups are located in geographically isolated places without infrastructure roads or access, and other language groups are unreachable due to repressive regimes that are opposed to the Christian faith. The internet is monitored, and it's impossible for Christians or Americans to travel to these regions. So isn't that a legitimate reason for not um, giving this information to the public? Well, our position is that no, it's not. Uh, to begin with, experts that Ministry Watch consulted said that it is extremely rare for a persecuted group to desire secrecy, uh, to desire anonymity in the outside world. Yes, they have to be careful within the country itself and 
to protect the identity of individuals, but they usually want and even need publicity from outside to keep pressure on these oppressive regimes. You know, one quick example, when Andrew Brunson was arrested in Turkey, Andrew Brunson was a missionary that was held in a Turkish prison. Um, It was constant publicity and pressure from Christian groups in the United States that got him released. That's one of the reasons why organizations like Voice of the Martyrs and Open Doors USA regularly publish lists of countries that are engaged in repressive activity and even the people groups that are being repressed. Um, The same could be said of the pro-democracy protesters in China. Uh, Secondly, even in those cases, when protecting the identity of individuals is important, there's still no reason not to disclose the cost of the projects, the estimated time that the projects will take. Wycliffe Associates, for example, says that it has 748 Bible translation projects underway. Well, it defies credulity that all of these translations are in closed countries. Why not release a list of the languages that you can? Uh, The organization says that it has completed 481 New Testament translations, but we've again repeatedly asked for a list of those translations, and we've repeatedly either been ignored or told that we wouldn't get those lists. So is Wycliffe Associates alone or is this behavior common uh, within the the Bible translation industry? Well, unfortunately, it is fairly common. The Bible translation industry takes in more than $500 million a year. Now, if you ask the Bible translation organizations themselves how long it takes to translate a Bible or how much it costs, the most common answer that you get is it depends. Uh, If you press them, they might say that it takes about a million dollars to do a translation and it takes two to three years to do a translation of the Bible, though once again, that number can vary wildly depending upon the language, the people group, and so on. Uh, So if you do the math, though, that means that even in sort of the worst possible scenarios, uh, the Bible translation industry should be completing hundreds of new translations every year if they're taking in $500 million a year, and they've been doing this for decades. That's simply not happening. There are a lot of good people working in the Bible translation world, but the business model is broken. The processes and corporate cultures are outdated, and in some cases, uh, they're sort of designed for deception. And that's why Ministry Watch has been focusing on the Bible translation industry for the past year or so with a long-term goal of hoping to bring reform and new efficiencies to this very vital ministry segment. Warren, before we go to another break, let's get an update on another story that Ministry Watch has been following for quite a while, the story of Z Ministries in Orlando, Florida. Yeah, more than four months after Ministry Watch first reported on problems with transparency, accountability, and board governance at Orlando, Florida's Z Ministries, uh, the ministry appears to have made very few changes. Uh, Jim Davis, uh, often called JD, uh, one of the whistleblowers, was fired for talking to us about problems at Z Ministries. And Z Ministries president, Jim Hogue, was calling him and other whistleblowers untruthful and foolish for talking to the media. Uh, Jim Hogue has also accused his critics of attempting a hostile takeover of the ministry, which, by the way, I should add, runs about a half a dozen radio stations uh, in central Florida. 
Carter Kenyon was also fired from Z Ministries for speaking to Ministry Watch. Kenyon was uh, also a member of the board, but his board membership was terminated as well. Kenyon would not talk with Ministry Watch, couldn't talk with Ministry Watch after he was fired uh, because of a cease and desist letter that he received from the attorneys at Z Ministries. So for the donors and staff there, what are the next steps? Well, I consulted with several experts to ask them that very question, and they all said that it would be tough but not impossible to force change there. They recommended that donors withhold support. Attorney David Bea, who I turn to regularly on legal matters related to nonprofits, he's an expert in that area, an attorney out of Chicago who doesn't have any direct experience with this particular situation, uh, said that one possible next step would be to escalate the matter matter to the attorney general of the state of Florida. He did admit, though, that attorneys general are often reluctant to take on such cases, but just the request could generate the kind of publicity that could help motivate change. Another person you interviewed for this story was Paul Coughlin. Yeah, Paul Coughlin has written extensively about bullying and autocratic leaders in Christian environments. He's written books uh, with titles like Free Us from Bullying. And he said, and I'm quoting directly here, Christians are poorly equipped to deal with bullies in a Christian environment. Uh, We've been given well-intentioned advice to turn the other cheek, but that advice does not mean that we should tolerate abuse in the workplace or in any Christian organization. So what can be done when leaders refuse all attempts to create reform? Well, Coughlin does not mince words. He says a serial bully listens only to power and consequences. He says that's their love language. He added, you have to play hardball. And bullies know that Christians have a hard time doing that. So they typically hunker down and just wait for the storm to pass, which seems to be what Jim Hogue in Z Ministries is doing uh, in Central Florida as well. Uh, His advice to employees who find themselves in an environment with a bully or a narcissistic leader is to document everything, take notes at meetings, even record them if possible. Coughlin also had a word for donors to Christian organizations with bullies as leaders. Um, Coughlin said this, I really believe God will hold us accountable for the things we've supported. Donors have a responsibility here too. If your money is helping abusers prosper, you are financing the abuse of yet more victims. Warren, we're going to have to take another quick break, but when we return, our weekly lightning round of ministry news. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com.
Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, Warren, we like to use this last little segment as sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. So what's up first? Well, Christian groups are getting together to serve more than a million children around the world who have been orphaned by COVID-19. And that means they've lost one or both of their parents to the disease or to related causes. Another estimated 500,000 children have lost a grandparent or another relative who was caring for them. Ellie Oswald is the executive director of a group called Faith to Action Initiative, and she's helping to lead a coalition that includes World Vision, Bethany Christian Services, and a number of other groups. What else do you have for us? Well, World Relief announced on Tuesday that uh, the longtime uh, staff member, Mile Green, will become the next president and CEO of this evangelical Christian humanitarian organization. Uh, The announcement comes after the current World Relief president, Scott Arbeiter, and the CEO, Tim Breen, announced in February that they were going to step down after a combined 30 years of service to the organization. Green, uh, Mile Green, will step into the combined role vacated by Tim Breen and Scott Arbeiter uh, as on August the 16th. I should add, uh, for those that don't know World Relief, um, they are the Benevolence Relief and Development arm of the National Association of Evangelicals, which and it has more than, they have more than 1,500 staff members worldwide. And a quick update from the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah, we had a lot of coverage of the SBC a couple of weeks ago. One quick follow-up item here today. Uh, The SBC president, the newly elected president, Ed Litton, has appointed a seven-member task force to look into accusations that the denomination's executive committee has mishandled allegations of abuse. The task force includes four Southern Baptist pastors, a lawyer, a social worker, and the head of a Mississippi social service agency that often works with children. Abuse advocates and attorney Rachel Den Hollander and Chris Moles, a pastor and counselor who works on domestic prevention, will also serve as advisors. And if I could just add one more thing to that, Natasha, we have had Rachel Den Hollander on the Ministry Watch podcast in the past. Uh, you can find uh, my interview with her by going to ministrywatch.com and typing her name uh, into the search engine. It's a little bit tricky. Den Hollander is D E N H O L L A N D E R. Rachel Den Hollander. And finally, do you have any housekeeping items before we go? Yeah, I do. I appreciate you asking. Uh, first, a reminder that my book, Faith-Based Fraud, is now available as an audiobook at audible.com. And uh, secondly, a reminder to, of course, support your local church first, your favorite and carefully researched ministry second. But if you have a little extra that you can give to Ministry Watch to help us help you and others be more effective and informed stewards, we would, of course, be grateful for your gifts. To make a gift to Ministry Watch anytime, uh, you can go to ministrywatch.com and hit the Donate tab at the top of the page. And finally, for any of our listeners in Colorado Springs, I will be in Colorado next week, and I'd love to have lunch with you. We're doing a luncheon at in Colorado Springs on the 27th. That's a Tuesday. Check your daily emails from Ministry Watch for an Eventbrite link to sign up. And if If you don't live in Colorado, stay tuned. Now that COVID is lifted, I'll be doing a bit more traveling, and I hope to do donor, reader, and listener lunches in Atlanta, Orlando, Dallas, Nashville, and other cities in the months ahead. 
The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Steve Raby, Ann Steich, Kim Roberts, Bob Smetania, Shannon Cuthrill, and Adele Banks. I'm Natasha Smith in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. Thank you.